Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. All opinions expressed by me, my co-hosts, or my guests are solely our own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Northbound Wealth Management. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended as personalized recommendations or fiduciary advice. It is not intended to provide and should not be relied upon for any investment, accounting, legal, and tax advice or as a solicitation to offer or buy any securities. Clients of Northbound Wealth Management may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Northbound Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Brent Foster, founder and CEO of Northbound Wealth Management. And let's dive into the monthly market insights, December 2023. We are going to talk about the US markets, the global markets, some performance. We're going to talk about uh, the S&P 500 a little bit later and the top performers, the worst performers there, some of the positions that we hold at Northbound Wealth Management a little bit and then uh, also highlight a few other things. So let's dive in, US markets. So stock prices surged last month as positive inflation data and falling bond yields emboldened investors. The Dow Jones Industrial Average gained 8.77%, while the S&P 500 advanced 8.92%. The NASDAQ composite, which led all year so far this year has picked up 10.7%, absolutely ripping guys, absolutely ripping. So uh, inflation eases, bond yields fall. So the fears that have dragged on the stock market since August evaporated in November as fresh inflation data reaffirmed continuing progress in the fight against rising prices. The good news on the inflation front, coupled with upbeat comments by Fed officials helped drive bond yields lower. Additionally, the bond market was relieved following news that a 20-year Treasury note auction was well-received. So the CPI report sparks a rally. The October's Consumer Price Index, or CPI report, was released mid-month, showing prices flat from the previous month and a cooler-than-forecasted core CPI, which core CPI excludes food and energy. Stocks surged with the S&P 500 index rising 2.9%. The yield on the 10-year treasury dropped 19 basis points, which is a huge one-day move. So the rate hike cycle ending, is it really ending? The combination of decelerating inflation, constructive economic data, and generally benign commentary from the Fed officials over the course of the month generated an increasingly optimistic outlook that the Fed's rate hike cycle may be at its end and the prospect of a rate cut sometime in the first half of 2024. So solid corporate earnings reports, but cautious on outlooks. There's a ton of companies coming out with outlooks, and it seems like it's earlier and earlier and earlier every year. But corporate earnings were also a key focal point in last month's stock market actions, with 94% of S&P 500 companies reporting, 82% reported a positive earnings surprise, while 62% reported a positive revenue surprise. On a more cautionary note, 64 uh, S&P 500 companies issued negative earnings guidance for the fourth quarter, while 32 issued positive guidance. With powerful gains already registered for the month, investors took a breather in the final week of trading to digest November's exceptional gains. Sector scorecard. So for the month, In November, all industry sectors, except energy, which was down 0.72% or 72 basis points, 
ended higher, including communication services, which was up 7.8%. Consumer discretionary was up 10.97%. Consumer staples was up 4.13%. Financials was up 10.94%. Healthcare, 5.4% to the positive. Industrials, 8.83%. Materials, 8.35%. Real estate was up 12.48%. Tech was up 12.90%. And utilities were up 5.14%. Absolutely awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Felt good to see that. So a recap for the November 2023 U.S. markets are concerned. Here we go. S&P 500 up 8.92% for the month. Year to date, that's up 18.97%. The NASDAQ was up 10.70% for the month, guys. That's up 35.92% on the year. That's phenomenal given the S&P and the NASDAQ rallying that much after what was uh, the 2022 demise. So, so uh, making up for those losses in 2022. Uh, the Russell 1000 up 9.13% and for the month of November and up 18.79% for the year. The 10-year treasury note was up uh, 4.35% for the month. So that's where that rally came from in the uh, treasury market, the bond market. And uh, that means on the year, 0.47% uh, to the positive erasing losses. A lot of this data is derived from Yahoo Finance through the end of November, November 30th, 2023. Uh, so what investors may be talking about in December? Now we're the seventh day into December um, and investors' attention is expected to shift to the two-day FOMC meeting, so the Federal Open Market Committee, you know, the Fed, which ends on December 13th. So that's still, we got another six days uh, before uh, the end of that. The focus may be less on the actual rate decision on whether to raise rates, keep rates flat or reduce rates. But since the market expects the Fed to maintain the federal funds rate at its current level, instead, investors may pay close attention to the wording of the FOMC statement announcing the decision and most especially to Fed Chair Powell's remarks in the press conference that will follow up on the meeting. Following the November meeting, Powell said that the Fed was not convinced that infl the inflation battle had been won and that additional progress towards its 2% inflation goal may require further restrictive monetary actions, which basically means raising rates. The news unsettled investors who had hoped that the rate hike cycle had come to an end. While Powell is unlikely to change the stance of his message, investors will be looking for any indication that his stance has shifted. All right, on to world markets. The MSCI EFA index gained 9.09% in November on moderate inflation and hopes of interest rate cuts. European stocks performed strongly with advances experienced in France, which the, the French market was up 6.17%. The Germany uh, or the DAX was up 9.49%. Italy up 7.19%. Spain up 11.54%. The UK lagged a bit, picking up only 1.80%. The Pacific Rim markets also saw solid gains with Japan rising 8.52%. Hong Kong was the performance outlier, falling 1.65% as China continued to struggle. So a world market recap for November of 2023. It's always good to go over. 
Uh, actually, what I'll do is I'll talk about the year-to-date performance, just to speed this up, the year-to-date performance of 2023 through the end of November. So Hang Seng China was down 14.92%, so they continue to struggle. They're the outlier struggling area. Uh, the KOSPI or Korean index was up 13.36% on the year. The Nikkei in Japan was up 28.33% for the year. The Sensex, which is in India, was up 10.10% for the year. Uh, the EGX 30 or Egypt's market up 69.44%. Bovespa, which is uh, Brazil, was up 15.51% on the year. The IPC All Share Mexico Index uh, obviously is in Mexico. <laughs> Mexican stocks up 11.55%. ASX 200, which is Australia, flat, basically up 0.69%. So really not performing that great. Let's on. Let's go on to Europe. DAX Germany up 16.46% on the year through November. Uh, CIC 40, which is uh, the French market, up 12.93. IBEX 35 in Spain, 22.23%. FTSE 100 UK, which is the United Kingdom, flat 0.03%. And the IT 40, which is Italy's index, 25.44%. A lot of this data, again, uh, derived from Yahoo Finance through the end of November. So indicators, let's go on to the US and take a look at the US Economic indicators, gross domestic product, GDP. So that number came out. The second estimate of economic growth in the third quarter was revised higher from 4.9% to 5.2%. How about that for growth in the U.S. despite all of its challenges? Employment. So employers added 150,000 jobs in October below September's pace of 297,000 job gains and the consensus forecast of 170,000 new jobs. So kind of came in lighter than what was expected. The unemployment rate ticked higher to 3.9% while average hourly earnings came in around expectations. So uh, three, almost nearly 4% unemployment rate. So we're kind of trending higher. So that means the job market's uh, softening a bit. Um, retail sales, Consumer spending declined 0.1% in October, coming off a 0.9% increase in September. This was the first decline in retail sales since March. Year-over-year -year retail sales rose 2.5% below the level of price increases for that period. Industrial production. Industrial output fell 0.6%, owing in large part to the strike by the automotive workers. The decline was greater than the 0.4% that the economists had been expecting. Housing, housing starts rose 0.91. Excuse me, housing starts rose 1.9% in October as builders took advantage of the ongoing shortage of existing homes resale inventory. Sales of existing homes declined by 4.1% month over month to a 13-year low. Yeah, nobody's selling homes. Why? Rates are too high. People can't move. While sales from a year ago were down by 14.6%, the year-over-year -year gain in the median sales price was 3.4% due to the low inventory of homes on the market. New home sales fell 5.6% in October, though they were higher from a year ago by 17.7%. Okay. Inflation, CPI, we did talk about a little bit earlier, but let's let's revisit this. Consumer prices were flat in October 
and were higher by 3.2% from a year ago. Both numbers came in below Wall Street expectations. Core CPI, which excludes food and energy, also posted below forecast results, rising 0.2% in October and 4% year over year. The annual core CPI increase was the lowest in two years. Durable goods orders. All right, so orders of goods designed to last three years or longer. Think about that. Orders designed to last three years or longer slumped 5.4% in October, led by a sharp decline in aircraft and automobile sales. By the way, Boeing has a massive backlog. I don't know why I want to say this, but of like 5,000 planes. It's crazy. Anyway, I like the stock right now. Um, The Fed, the FOMC elected to leave rates unchanged for the second consecutive meeting. The committee's accompanying statement pointed to an improved assessment of the economy. In his post-announcement press conference, Fed Chair Powell said that bringing inflation to the Fed's 2% target was a long process, leaving open the possibility of a rate hike in December. So we'll see about that on December 13th here in about six days. Most likely my next uh, uh, podcast release will be after that so that um, I can kind of capture what's going on there. So by the numbers, here's some fun facts. The holidays, which, hey, I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving heading into uh, the final month of the year, the la- less than 30 days. Uh, we've got Christmas and New Year's and a lot of vacation time with family. I hope you guys all enjoy that. But uh, here's some fun stuff about holidays. Here's a number between 6 and 10. That's the number of gifts purchased on average between six and 10. 11%, uh, that's the number or the percentage of people buying more than 20 gifts. So only 11% of folks buy more than 20 gifts. What are the most popular gifts, which is a great question. Number one, gift cards. Number two, clothing and accessories. And number three, books and media related gifts, such as computers, tablets, and phones. So how about the one of the most expensive gifts? A rare Cartier diamond tiara was the most expensive item in 2022's Neiman Marcus Christmas catalog. And it's valued at 3.2 million was, was the cost of that particular tiara. So we'll see if that record gets broken this year. Uh, 1935 was the year the, the tiara was created. There's 612 diamonds um, in that tiara. Amazing. Amazing. And check this out. Here's a fun one. Atari 5200. My folks might know about this. I think my dad actually had one and we played it when we were young in the eighties. One of the top holiday gifts in 1983, it was an Atari 5200. The cost was $199 and 99 cents. And the amount of Ram in an Atari 5200, which is mind blowing was 16 kilobytes. Holy cow. I don't even know what an NVIDIA chip can do, but it's insane the amount of computing power we have these days. All right. So since we're just beyond the first week of December, some of the some of the data I shared about November has changed a bit. The Dow uh, is up 9.35% for the year. The NASDAQ's up 36.67% for the year. 
The MSCI EFA index is up 9.31% for the year, and the S&P 500 is up 19.67%. And the 10-year note is, is closed at 4.22%, which is up a little bit of 0.34%. So um, overall, the continuation of this, this bullish uh, pattern is, is and trend is happening. Uh, and we're getting that uh, year-end rally which uh, is expected and, and, and pretty typical. So this week, key economic data, we've got factory orders, ISM surveys and JOLTS report, ADP report, jobless claims, and then uh, consumer sentiment and the employment situation report this week. So we'll continue to track that um, and into next week. We've got notable companies reporting earnings. Uh, this week we've had, let's see, AutoZone, MongoDB, Broadcom, and Dollar General. And uh, this week's tax tip of the week is, did you know that if you're receiving Social Security benefits, you may have to pay federal income tax on a portion of these benefits? For those of you who are actually drawing Social Security, you know this, but those of you who haven't, uh, you need to be aware of it. Um, the question is, is, are Social Security benefits taxable? Yeah, they are. The amount you have to pay may depend on your specific income and filing status. To find out whether your Social Security benefits are taxable, if you are single, take one half of the Social Security money you receive throughout the year and add it to your other income, which includes pensions, wages, interest, dividends, and capital gains. If the total comes to more than $25,000, then part of your benefits may be taxable. If you are married and filing jointly, take half of the social security money you receive throughout the year and half of your spouse's social security benefits and add both of those amounts to your combined household income. If the total is more than 32,000, part of your benefits may be taxable. On its website, the IRS lays out the percentage of benefits that are taxable based on the cal calculation that I just shared. These percentages vary between 50% and 85% and depend on your filing status and income levels. For example, if you're filing single with $25,000 to $34,000 in income, 50% of your Social Security benefits may be taxable. And again, this information is not intended to be a substitute for specific individualized tax advice. We suggest you discuss your specific tax issues with a qualified tax professional. This tip was adapted from irs.gov. On to the next and final segment of this podcast. Hey everybody, this is Brent Foster. I'm gonna go over performance of the S&P 500 year to date. And then also we're gonna go through the underlying holdings of the index and check out the weights of the index and what kind of drove that performance. And then what companies are really standouts for 2023 and carry momentum into the next year. Also, we're going to go over like the worst performing stocks. And so uh, that ought to be interesting. Um, so Northbound Wealth Management, we, we actually hold a lot of the top stocks in the index, Microsoft, Apple, Amazon, Google. Uh, of course, there's many more, NVIDIA, Tesla, uh, you know, <laughs> JP Morgan, all kinds of companies. Um, and so let's, uh, let's talk about some of the attributes of performance this year. It's been fun. Uh, it's been a good year. The S and P so far is up nearly 20% on the year, which is awesome. Uh, the top holding as far as weight in the index is Apple. 
Uh, Apple holds the pole position of portfolio weight uh, in the SPY, ticker symbol SPY, which is the S&P 500 index of 7.41% of the index is held uh, by Apple. All right. Microsoft holds the second position at 7.21% of the index is Microsoft. Amazon uh, third, and it drops down quite a bit from seven down to 3.48% of the weighting is in Amazon. NVIDIA has climbed to 3% of the weighting of the S&P. Google holds the 2% spot. Meta is at 1.84%. Um, actually, if you, it, let me, let me correct that. If you actually add the two share classes of Google, so G-O-O-G and G-O-O-G-L, um, you got to add 2% and 1.74%. So you combine those two and really uh, Google's the fourth spot above NVIDIA, maybe even the third spot above Amazon, depending on the day, because these obviously, these stocks all move around uh, each day. Moving on, Tesla has a spot of 1.72% of the index. Berkshire Hathaway 1.69% 1.69% and Brookshire stocks done well. Uh, UNH or United Health is 1.33. Uh, Lilly, Eli Lilly has 1.22% of the index and it's done extremely well with Ozempic uh, coming out and being a blockbuster drug. JP Morgan Chase at 1.2%, Visa at 1%, Exxon Mobil at 1%, uh, Avagio or formerly known as Avagio, AVGO, which is now Broadcom at 1%, J&J, Johnson & Johnson, nearly 1%, uh, Procter & Gamble at 90 uh, basis points or nine-tenths of 1%, MasterCard at 8.89%, let's see, the Home Depot, 0.85%, and Adobe at 0.72%. All right, so there you go. There's uh, some of the top holdings in the S&P 500. Let's talk about how they performed. So year to date so far, Apple, man, they've done well. They're up 48.02% for the year. That's substantial given the weighting of the S&P 500. Now you see the attribution in the nearly 20% return of the S&P 500 this year so far. Uh, Big weight to Apple and Microsoft. So Apple is up 48.02, Microsoft up 53.78%. And then Amazon at 72.05%, those three up substantially and Alphabet up 47.36% or, you know, Alphabet is the parent company of Google. So basically think Google. Um, So if you look at those top four spots, I mean, that's that's a great recovery from 2022's performance of the S&P 500 being down uh, nearly 20. So you got... Uh, NVIDIA, by the way, has just crushed it up this year, 211.37% year to date. Um, And that was as of market close yesterday, which was December 6th. So nearly the entire year, uh, all these companies are doing quite well. So technology has been a highlighted spot as far as making sure you're allocated to tech. That's why, because you can have these runs that are pretty awesome. All right, Meta Platforms, which is Facebook up 163.79%. Now, you know, we have to remember with some of these companies, they had just massive drawdowns and not doing too well. Like Meta, for example, uh, just didn't have a great year in 22. Um, And as it was trying to figure itself out, 
Zuckerberg finally uh, got with the program and cut uh, his spending and headcount and and shifted the company back to what their core competencies were. And when he did that, uh, the street liked it and people started coming back to the stock. Um, as a firm and personally, I just haven't owned it. Uh, that's the one stock I haven't owned. All the rest of these I have in portfolios. Um, Tesla is up this year, 94.33%. Brookshire Hathaway up 14.08%, United Health uh, up 3.65%. So uh, Brookshire and uh, United Health had great years. And as far as um, last year is concerned, the year before that, but then if they've done, they're, they're doing fine. Um, and they're just in a defensive area of the market. And, and that's where value, value players live or value investors live. And this year has been um, a switch back to the growth story. So what's nice is if you own the index or that you've done actually quite well. Um, so you're not going to be at the top. You're not going to be at the bottom, but you're going to be somewhere in, in the middle, middle upper range, actually. Eli Lilly, uh, year to date, up 61.07%. JP Morgan up 16.56%. That just shows you how much financials and defensives have lagged. Uh, this year and and the the appetite went to risk on and people shifted money from value to growth. And then now who knows what 2024 is going to look like, but it's a good idea to probably just own all of it uh, to some degree or another, maybe not 100% of all of it, but um, talk to your financial professional about that or talk to us about it. Um, let's see, Visa uh, is up 22.4% for the year. ExxonMobil, this is a space, the energy space lagged this year, started to sell off this year. So keep that in mind. Um, energy for Exxon down 10.15% for the year. Broadcom and semiconductors is up 61.62%. So uh, you can see uh, you're starting to see uh, a couple of areas energy, and then I'm get to pharma, certain types of big pharma are down too this year, like Johnson and Johnson down 11.34%. Procter and Gamble household products down 3.24% on the year. Uh, MasterCard up 18.02%. So the consumer seems to be doing fine and, and MasterCard's doing well. Visa's doing well. The Home Depot, uh, up 3.25%, nothing to write home about, but still positive on the year. I think the the spending for the consumer kind of slowed down uh, in all the, I mean, we've had several years to remodel our homes, right? So um, we need the housing market to pick up and home sales to start happening again, but that's not going to happen until interest rates go back down. And then you'll see consumers go out and start to spend more at say Lowe's and Home Depot and and tractor supply and all these other places that you might need the stuff that you need for your new property or a rehab or whatever. So, all right, Adobe software, uh, Adobe is up 77.01% for the year. So also uh, an indication of where things are headed with AI and with software and technology and innovation in that space. AI, I think everybody is, is now talking about AI. And if you don't talk about it, you're going to be left behind uh, in this move in uh, artificial intelligence 
it's it's going to impact everything. So uh, a couple other companies will go over Costco year to date's up 33.06%, Merck down 4.79, Chevron down 20.59%, uh, AbbVie uh, kind of pulling back some at down 9.42% for the year. So what you're what you're probably hearing is big pharma and energy took a backseat to a lot of software. Here's Salesforce, Salesforce up 87.9% for the year. Okay, Pepsi, Coke, both down about 7.28 and 7.88 respectively. Um, again, Staples defensives taking a backseat this year. Walmart up 8.64%. Um, not, nothing to write home about there, even for Walmart as well as they do, but they're kind of in the consumer staples, merchandise, retail, and so they're they're kind of weighed down a bit by some of some of that staple type of mentality and spending. Um, uh, Accenture, which is IT consulting, uh, up twenty five point seven zero percent for the year. Bank of America down seven. So financials again, just not doing too hot this year. So there's a review of some of the largest companies uh, doing uh, in the in the index. Uh, a lot of them doing well, um, and a lot, and some of them not doing so hot. It was kind of a joke. The Magnificent Seven, which is talked about a lot, people like to describe the Magnificent Seven. That's the top weights uh, in the S and P five hundred that are performing the best, and it happens to be big tech, right? Apple, Amazon, Google, um, those types of companies, Microsoft. Um, so anyway, um, that's a good thing to hold those companies that you've owned for a while. The attribution to your portfolio over a long period of time is really good when that happens. Uh, but also know that those can pull back as well. They don't always go up and it's not a straight line. Investing is not a straight line up and to the right. There are up years and there are down years and there are years where there's kind of, uh, so uh, keep that in mind as we move forward into 2024, 25, 26, and 27 through the end of this decade. All right. So let's talk about 2023's worst performers. Well, solar edge technology. So um, they're down 71.52%. M phase, which is semiconductor materials and equipment, down 59.7%. Fertilizer and ag chemicals, FMC, was down. 55.76%. Moderna, which is a biotech company, uh, was down 55.13%. Um, let's see, the Estee Lauder companies, personal care products down 46.25%. Dollar General, uh, which is consumer staples, again, down 45%. Uh, Abermarl, specialty chemicals down 45 And Pfizer was down 43.81%. Uh, and let's keep going with this list just for a couple more here. Uh, Illumina, uh, Illumina, Walgreens, Paycom, we're all down 40 to 43%. The AES or a, a power energy company, uh, Insulet, which is healthcare. Um, there's a company, Revity, which is a life sciences. So the, some of these, uh, are chemicals, pharma, they're all down. There's like Sealed Air Corp, VF Corp, Etsy, and Insight. Um, all these guys are down 30 to 40% uh, for the year. So the 
Uh, we want to see more and more broadening out of these companies reporting earnings, doing well, um, and you'll see the follow through of that. Hopefully, in 24, if we if we don't have other companies participate in the in the gains, there's only so much um, that the big cap tech can do to carry the index um, for for. <laughs> for the foreseeable future, you're going to have to have some broadening out and some co other companies doing well in order for the index to, to go up. I guess that's my opinion. It doesn't have to happen. I guess the others can, the, the magnificent seven can just carry it, carry the index into perpetuity, but I don't think that's the case. I think that you've got to have uh, a reset and a reevaluation at some point. And, uh, and Jamie diamond and other people are talking about how, you know, things aren't as, as great as they seem because there's not enough participation out there. Um, so in the markets anyway, uh, northbound wealth management, uh, I feel like we've done quite well, uh, in, in celebrating, uh, a, a better performance, good perform, good performance this year and, uh, excited about what next year is going to bring. Uh, another thing I want to talk about is the the bond market. So the treasury market, I just pulled a rate chart. This data is all from Schwab. Uh, both the stock market information I pulled is all Schwab research data, which thank you to Schwab, Charles Schwab, my custodian and research platform, trading platform. You guys do an excellent job. Uh, but uh, I pulled a rate sheet, just taking a look at treasuries and let's run through some of these so that, that, that uh, the audience knows uh, what treasuries are paying. So the three-month T-bill uh, treasury note is paying 5.39%. The six-month is paying 5.371. So slightly less than the three months. So uh, that still means the yield curve is inverted. Nine-month, 5.243%. So slightly less even from the six-month. The one-year is even less than the nine-month. And the two year will be less than that. And it just kind of keeps trending down all the way to the 10 year note and 20 uh, is it, the 20 year notes. The only time that the, the yield actually goes back up. So we have a inverted yield curve, which is something that all these economists and people like us pay attention to and care about as far as signaling a recession. So the longer it stays inverted, the idea is that we're likely to have a recession at some point. Well, that's been discussed for multiple years now. So again, getting back to the one year is at 5.12%. The two year is at 4.65. The three year is at 4.36. Five years at 4.2. So as you can hear this, it's, it's trending down if you could visualize that. The 10 year is at 4.1. So continuing that trend, and then we've jumped up, we jump up in the 20 year note to 4.48 and then the 30 year, uh, 4.27. So there's a higher yield on the 20 year than the 30 year. Interesting. And, uh, you know, so, um, yeah, that treasury auction did go well, I guess for folks that I discussed earlier. Um, all right. So tax equivalent, municipal, AAA, muni, for those that care about it, no, uh, we got tax equivalent yields of 6.211% on that are out there in the marketplace. We're able to shop and bid a lot of these out. We have access to, to 200 dealers covering 30,000 QCIPs each day and 20,000 municipal bonds when we shop this out. 
So if you're interested in having Northbound run a, uh, a bond ladder for you or a municipal portfolio, taxable portfolio, uh, corporate bonds or whatever, give us a call. We'd be happy to analyze those portfolios for you and build them out appropriately and manage them going forward to generate as much income and capital preservation for you as possible. Um, and especially, this is going to become especially important for those of you out there that are enjoying cash right now and CDs and treasuries at the banks. Well, that's not, party's not going to last forever. Um, so eventually the Fed will lower rates. And when that happens, a lot of the other banks are going to be quick to lower those rates and not have to pay you. And so when that happens, uh, we'll kind of likely, I'm anticipating, we'll revert back to uh, the old days where we were managing uh, fixed income portfolios for folks that are higher than what uh, the cash at the bank is going to actually pay you. But for now, take advantage of it. Take full advantage of it. I am certainly. And uh, a lot of my clients are. So uh, we'll just kind of enjoy that as long as we can until it changes because uh, investment and investments always change and economies always change. All right. That wraps it up. Thanks. I hope you guys got a little bit out of that and, uh, and keep tracking the market for you. And we'll talk about all this stuff again here in about a week after the FOMC meeting, probably December 13th or so, right before uh, Christmas. And it'll probably be the last podcast of the year at that point. And then uh, I'll come back in the middle of January and we'll start up again on these podcasts and sharing information with you guys. All right, take care and like, subscribe, the Northbound Wealth Podcast. We really appreciate you. We love you all. Take care. Bye-bye.